A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to episode one of the Runner's World podcast. Each month we'll be bringing you inspiring stories, expert training advice and essential information on all things running. I'm Rick Pearson, the Runner's World section editor, and I'm here with Ben Hobson, the digital editor. Ben, what have we got coming up on this month's episode? Oh, it's a ram-packed episode. In the big debate, we'll be discussing with Runner's World reader Maud Hodson why she thinks it's high time that men and women run the same distance across country. Uh, in Human Race, we'll be meeting Kevin Webber, a man who's running to raise awareness of prostate cancer. And finally, our race section, where we take a look at The Swimmer, a very unique swim-run event that's taking London by storm. Well, on the subject of taking London by storm, that's exactly what we're planning to do um, over at Runner's World, because on Saturday, 24th of March will be um, assembling a crack team of relay runners to take on the London's Peaks relay, which involves running to the highest points in each of the 32 London boroughs as part of a giant relay. It's going to be interesting. It's, well, it certainly is going to be interesting. It's a bit like the Bob Graham round with a bit more concrete. There's various peaks and we're putting together a team. We've, we've, got, we've got most people involved and uh, we'd also like to throw it open to some Runner's World readers. We've got um, two places left. For the, for the final leg, which goes from Hammersmith and Fulham to the city of Westminster to um, snow-capped peaks, as you can imagine. So if you fancy joining the team, you can, uh, you can email in at podcast at runnersworld.co.uk. Runners World Podcast. Uh, so we're very pleased to have uh, Maud Hodgson with us in the studio. Uh, Maud is a member of the East London Runners and wrote into Runners World to discuss her exasperation at the current cross-country running format, which sees men and women running different distances uh, to one another. Um, Maud, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. So, I mean, what do you see as wrong uh, with, the, with the current format? What, why, why do you think men and women should actually run the same distances? Well, I think as it is at the moment, it doesn't give the women's event equal status to the men's. Taking as an example the Southern Main Championship, the men's event will be 15 kilometres and the women's will be eight. So just over half. Um, if you took the London Marathon as an example, that would be as if the men ran 26.2 miles and the women ran 14 miles. We wouldn't stand for that. It wouldn't give the women the same sort of challenge. So why should we put up with it in cross-country? We race the same distances on the tracks, on the roads, but in cross-country, up through the junior ranks... Women are always one step behind. The senior women run the same as the, as the junior boys. The junior boys, the junior girls run the same distance as the younger boys. Do you feel that this devalues the women's race? Yes, I do, because in regional competitions, you know, throughout the season, we're running 8K cross-countries, 
here, there and everywhere. And for the men, they get a great big season ender. They get 15K. They get a big showpiece event. We get another 8K. Great. I'll, I'll, try, I'll try and do a counter-argument. I've done a few of these cross-country events uh, for Hearn Hill, and I know that they're, they're very packed schedules. And you think there's a lot, there's a lot of races, like, say, junior events, men's events, women's events. If, um, if you made the women's event longer, would it be difficult to pack into that, to sort of fit into that schedule, do you think? Well, that is one of the arguments I've heard for keeping things as they are. But if they've got time for the men to run a longer event, are they saying that the men's race is more important, that they can afford more time in the schedule? That's not a great argument, in my opinion. I think it could go two ways. You either equalise the distances at something in between, like instead of 8 and 15, maybe both genders run 10 or 12k, which incidentally is what the IAAF have done for the World Cross Country Championships. Or alternatively, you could offer both distances to both sexes. You could have a short and long course championships and then everybody could choose. I think that's a really interesting kind of creative solution to it, isn't it? Say... You can have 9K or 15K, and whether you're a man or woman, you can pick um, the event that, that suits you on the day. Another reason for that is the very long events actually discriminate against some of the men's at the Southern Championships. There's a 90-minute cutoff for the men's 15K. Now, there are many, many male club runners, some of the older runners, some of the newer runners, who can't run 15K in 19 minutes. They're effectively being excluded from the event. Nobody should be either limited or excluded simply because of their gender in the 21st century. You mentioned the IAAF have revolted it for the world. So how would you expect the changes to be brought forward then across the board? What I would really love to see is organisations like UK Athletics, the English Cross Country Association, South, the South of England Athletics Association, people like that to show some leadership, to say, look, the IAAF have changed it. We live in the 21st century. We want to set an example to our young athletes, particularly our junior girls, that they're capable of just the same as the boys. Let's move forward. Let's not wait to be dragged kicking and screaming into the 21st century. Yeah, and I understand more that you're, you're kind of voting with your feet and you're actually not going to take part in cross-country while the, while the rules stay as they are. Is that right? That's right, yeah. I've decided that I will only compete in events where men and women run ever equal distances. I'm lucky that my club competes in two local leagues, the Chingford League and the Run Heart Sunday League, where we do compete over the same distances and I will continue to enter those events. And in the meantime... I've never been comfortable running at these events where the women don't run the same distance. I feel cheated and shortchanged. Have you tried contacting any um, authorities about this, Maud? Yes, I have. I've written to UK Athletics and the English Cross Country Association, making many of the same points I've made here. And I did, I did get a personal response. I'll give, I'll give him that. But, you know, very much saying, oh, well, you know, if we get enough people writing in you know then we'll put it to the clubs lots of people quite like it this way I was hoping for a bit more leadership quite honestly I was hoping that you know rather than waiting until the you know the tide of change just runs over them just make it happen yeah I think one of the the things that stands out for me about running is it's so gender neutral isn't it it's not um Men, it's, it's something that men and women do together. Men and women are both fantastic at it. Um, the longer the distance, the more equal we are. That's very true. I, I, last year I ran an ultra marathon over 42 miles-ish, which was run out, won outright by a woman. The differences do narrow as, as the distances go So it's on. one more compelling reason for yeah for the, for the distances to be the same, I think. Um, Maud, thank you very, very much for, for coming in to talk about that on the podcast. I think that's a really, really interesting um, topic, and I think it should be discussed 
discuss more and i'm sure our listeners will have we have yeah we would actually love to hear from listeners on this um if you could send in your thoughts and opinions to podcast at runnersworld.uk, do you think it's high time that men and women raced equal distances for cross country or should we stick with tradition? So let us know, um, uh, Twitter at runnersworld.uk. Um, thanks again, Maud. That was really, really interesting. Runners World Podcast. In 2014, aged 49, Kevin Webber was told he had terminal prostate cancer and was given just two years to live. Such news would stop most men in their tracks. Kevin, instead, decided to run. Since his diagnosis, Kevin has completed multi-day ultramarathons in the Sahara Desert, 15 marathons in 15 days, and next month will head to the Arctic for the 6633 Ultra. Through his running, Kevin has raised tens of thousands of pounds for Prostate Cancer UK and hopes to increase awareness about the disease. Kevin, welcome to the Runners Well podcast. Hi, thank you. So let's go back to November 2014, uh, when you received your diagnosis. What are your memories of that day? That day was um, pretty awful because uh, I'd spent the previous three months having loads of tests and biopsies, and the biopsies are really not much fun for prostate cancer. Um, and I knew something was probably not quite right. Uh, about seven days before, Alvin Stardust had died of uh, prostate cancer. And until that stage, I, everyone said prostate cancer is curable. And suddenly there was someone that I knew from like the 70s, kind of I knew, knew, knew of him from the 70s, and it kind of made it very real. And I got into the room, and the doctor just sat down with my wife, and the doctor just said, oh, I'm really sorry, you've got advanced prostate cancer, it's spread. You know, you've probably got two years to live, if you're lucky, three to four, uh, don't think ten. And he actually said it twice, don't think ten. You know, so it was kind of quite uh, quite emotional, lots of tears. My wife and I, you know, burst into tears and weren't, weren't expecting it at all, and kind of that was it my life was over um i then left that doctor who was a, a urologist and went to an oncologist who then told me that they were going to give me chemotherapy and uh, radiotherapy thereafter and the combination of those things in my mind from what i'd heard plus a two-year in- unpleasant end game meant my life was already over so you know two years of sort of treatment so that was it life was was ended and i then spent uh, pretty much two years in my mind thinking I'm going to be dead and the next two months most mainly in tears. So you've left the room and you've seen different doctors to give you different diagnoses. Um, did you have a particular moment? Was there an epiphany when you suddenly realised that you had to do something off your own back with this? I always liked running. I ran quite a bit when I was in my 20s um, but never further than a half marathon you know, I always had massive respect for anyone that could run any further because I had nothing left in the tank after 13.1 miles. And uh, about seven years before, one of my wife's friends had an untimely death and my wife said, you always wanted to run a marathon, never did. So I kind of learned to run again because I'd been injured and ran a few marathons. And then I also did one ultramarathon, ran from London to Brighton uh, in 2014. But that was, it was, I was kind of a two or three big race a year person, as in big races with a couple of marathons and an ultramarathon. That's how I saw the future panning out. And then um, the week before I started chemotherapy, so in early January 2015, uh, I went for a long run, about 20 miles. And I remember running crying because I just thought I would never run again. I just thought, this is it. I'm going to start chemotherapy and that's it. My life is over. It's all rubbish. And so solid chemotherapy on the 13th of January, um, shuffled back from uh, the hospital, got in, in my house, had, had a dinner, went to bed, just thinking that's it. And you don't sleep when you have chemotherapy because they they pump you full of steroids beforehand. 
So they're like it's like having like twenty five cans of Red Bull. You're just absolutely wired. Um, next morning I got up, and it was cold and it was just miserable outside. And I said to my wife, "I'm going for a run." And she said, "No, you can't, doctor." I said, "Well, doctor didn't say I can't." I just said, "Didn't say anything at all." She said, "Well, you never asked him." <laughs> so I said, "But I've got a choice," and that was my epiphany. I said, "I have a choice. I can give up now, and just do nothing and be like." Sadly, most people are when they have something bad in their life, not just cancer, but when bad things happen, people just give up. Or I can you know, try and try and enjoy some of my life. And so I went for a run and I managed three miles. So when you think a week before I did 20, all I could do was three. I came back feeling really sick and really tired, but so happy that I'd done it. I just thought I can still run. It didn't matter how far it was. I can still run. And that was the epiphany. That was the bit that changed everything. Um, because then suddenly, instead of I've got, I've got two years to sort of slowly die, it became, well, actually, I've got two years to get out there and run as much as I can. So I just sort of kept on running, and uh, I ran a bit further and a bit further, and I saw my oncologist again, and I said, look, I'd entered the Brighton Marathon um, before I was diagnosed. Uh, what do you reckon? And he said, no, you can't do that. And I said, well, why not? And he said, well, because no one ever runs a marathon on your chemotherapy. So I said, look, I really want to do it. And he said, well, I'll tell you what, if you can train for it, you can run it. So I got home and Googled um, my my kind of chemotherapy and running marathons to see if I'd get some help. And I couldn't find anyone in the world that had done it. So now I kind of knew why he said what he said. Um, but I kept on training, kept on going. I had a few setbacks and I'm in hospital a few times uh, on drips and stuff because I had uh, problems with the chemotherapy. But April 2015 came along and I managed to get on the start line of the Brighton Marathon and did it. And I did it in... I think 4.38 and the previous year I'd run Brighton my fastest ever time which was um, 3.52 I think and so kind of a year and chemotherapy and cancer that's it kind of cost me an hour um, but I was so happy and a lot of my friends came down to watch me they kept popping up all over the place it was a great marathon my mate Jim ran it with me and uh, he was desperate to do a sub 4 hour marathon but he stayed the whole way with me so he kind of smashed his uh, option is his one opportunity as he saw it to do a sub four hour marathon to run around with me. We met a few other guys running for prostate cancer UK as well. Really emotional, you know, lots of tears. But just when I crossed the finish line, you know, there is no better feeling than finishing a race when you think you're absolutely never going to do it. Um, so I got home just, uh, just so pleased with myself and then got a phone call from one of my wife's friends and she said, um, uh, look, I can get you a kind of last minute place in the London Marathon in two weeks' time. Do you fancy it? for UN gym and I thought well, you know two marathons in two weeks well let's let's do it so I said go on then so we got there and actually I felt much stronger that day and we were doing four hour marathon pace for about 12 miles and I realised I, I could carry on a bit but I'd never do it and I said to Jim look you just go and do it and so he finished in I think 3.59 so he was like over the moon and I kind of did the last 12-13 miles on my own but in London Marathon you're never on your own and again whenever I see a Prostate Cancer UK shirt I always stop and ask them why they're running, and I always thank them because they don't actually realise. Often with prostate cancer, the person's older, so they can't run. So it's often their kids, their daughters, or their sons that are running. And I say, "Why are you running?" They say, "It's for my dad, or whatever." And then you say, "Well, actually, you're also running for my kids." And they look at me and I say, "Why is that?" I say, "Well, because you know you're raising money that will hopefully mean that by the time my kids are my age, they won't have to worry about prostate cancer." And that normally makes them burst into tears, which is quite <laughs> quite interesting. Um, that's not why I do it, but actually. I think people often raise money for the reason that they're doing it for, but it's such a wide reason. The money never just goes to one person. It always goes to the cause. 
so they're helping so many more people than just the one so yeah so I I did the London Marathon actually I was faster I think I did that in I think it was about 428 or something so you know, really really pleased with my time for that um, and then it was kind of went and told the doctor got back and said oh, I've run these two marathons he's, and since I last seen him and he said oh, oh that's a bit amazing I'd never thought you'd do that so like, what are you going to do now then and I think he thought I was going to say I was going to do some park runs you know and I said, well, I've entered this race. And he said, what's that? I said, it's called the MDS. What's that? I said, well, it's, um, it's, it's like a marathon on Sunday, a marathon Monday, a marathon Tuesday, a double marathon Wednesday, a marathon Friday, half marathon Saturday in the Sahara, carrying everything on your back, 50 degrees centigrade. And he looked at me and he said, why would anyone want to do that, let alone someone in your situation? Um, and it yeah, was just great. Just um, And that was it. It became my focus, you know, my reason to live and to train. I had no idea if I was going to get to the start line. But it was just an opportunity to to give me something in the shortest term to aim for. Obviously, you completed the Marathon de Saab and then, as I said in the intro, 15 marathons in 15 days. It's incredible. And I wondered if there's a kind of message that you're looking to convey through uh, your running. Yeah, I mean, there's lots of medical things that, that prove that running releases endorphins and makes you feel good. and it, And that's absolutely true. But it also makes you feel alive it makes you feel you can do something it's it's kind of me time so when i'd go running i'd often start with a head full of stuff and as you do when you run after sort of 20 minutes you're so tired that everything's gone and then you can kind of pull one thing hold up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. ...at a time and really analyze it and make it better. And by the time I got home, what my wife would say is that, you know, if I was a bit moody or down before, I'd come back and I'd be so high and I'd be like trying to plan the next run. So, you know, although my wife, I think, misses me when I'm out doing these races, she knows that the races actually keep the family going because that, that ability to go out there and do something for me, that also raises the money for a good cause, it also spreads awareness. And it's not just about prostate cancer, okay, it's what I've got, but it's is anything you know you might have just lost your job you might have had i don't know a relationship issue you might have another family member is ill or something something bad happened but you haven't got to give up and that's what i've realized you know you can still enjoy today now, last night was a really good example i was watching telly and 
they talked about the super moon, which I didn't know was. So I thought, that's it, I'm going to go out. So I went out just to look at the moon. And, you know, I'm not a wolf. I didn't bark it or anything around <laughs> it. But it's just such a joyous thing. And then I thought, well, actually, I'm going to jog up the road then. I didn't have my running gear on. Just thought, I'm just going for a little jog. So I kind of jogged up the road in my jeans and the wrong shoes. But it just felt so good. And, and, and so, so natural. You know, since the beginning that, of humans, there's been a moon up there. And you can run when you want to. So that's what I did. And it's just brilliant. I mean, running is just fantastic. Have you thought about um, legacy, Kevin? Have you thought about kind of what you want your legacy to be? I know, I know this is going to sound a bit strange. I, I'm not... Nowadays, I put myself in the public eye a bit, but I'm not naturally extrovert. I'm extrovert if I know you, but if I don't, I'm quite introvert. But I've realised I have an opportunity to try and make or encourage people to do things differently. So as a legacy, I don't, I don't actually want a bronze of me in Trafalgar Square on a spare plinth. That's not what I'm after. But I wouldn't mind, if nothing else, you know, one, raise a few quid because I think, you know, my, my boys are 17 and 13 and more and more men are getting prostate cancer when they're in their late 30s, early 40s, which never used to happen that much. So I reckon I've got 20 years to help Prostate Cancer UK develop things so that they won't have to worry about it being a killer. It might still be there, but it hasn't got to kill you if they can get it right. So that's one legacy. The next is... I want more and more men to find out about it. Um, already, I've had people email me and said, I heard you speak, or I've read something that you've written, and you know what? I was going up the night for a wee, so I went to the doctors, and you know what? I had prostate cancer, and I would never have gone without reading your story, and because I went early, I can be cured, and so now I won't die of it. And so I've already, you know, sounds big-headed, but I've already saved people's lives, and there's nothing more you can do in life for that than, than that. So as a legacy, I've already kind of created some stuff, and I guess it moved on. I said from prostate cancer, anything. I want people just to to make the most of it. You know, I, I've um, I've been working with someone to try and produce a, a website, which is just a it's supposed to be inspirational uh, to try and make people to think about how they can live their lives better. And it's not trying to lecture them. It's just you can always find something good in a bad day. So the website is is actually make the most of dot it. And if someone goes there, you'll see it's my story and what I've done and how I got through the, the bad days and how I how I live in short-term chunks. You know, I have um, monthly blood tests. So any, every month I live in a four-week window. So I had the results yesterday and that was, it was a good result. So my blood, my, the drugs are still working. Brilliant. So now I can think about next month and say so I'm, I'm going to be like alive and healthy for another month so I can really plan. And, and actually the reality is a good blood test probably means you've got three months because it takes a couple of months for it to go bad and affect you. So I can start thinking, well, actually now, get the doctor to sign off my medical form for the 6633, which he's done, so I can do that in March. I then got, I come back and I'm home for two weeks, and I'm off to the uh, Marathon de Saab again. So I'm going to go from minus 50 degrees centigrade to plus 50 C in the space of two weeks. And I think, actually, now I can do that as well. Whatever goes wrong, I now can do those two things. And that's, you know, it's running again. I say running, you know, at the moment, when you do those really, really long races, it's kind of run-walk, but mainly fast walking. Um, so sometimes I think, am I a runner anymore? Because some of these races are so long, only only the real, real elite people manage to run a lot of them. But I know I'll run some of them, so I'm still a runner, I guess. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I think some of our listeners won't be familiar with the 6633 Ultra. It's pretty full-on, as you say, minus 50. Can you give us a little overview of that race? So the 6633 allegedly is one of the five hardest races out there you know the marathon de Sable was claimed to be 
what makes the Marathon de Saab hard is that you can enter it without any qualifications at all. There's no pre-qualifications to pay the money. And so you haven't got to be fit at all and you can rock up and that makes it pretty hard if you're not fit. The 6633 is hard because it is um, 350 miles. It's non-stop, so it's not a stage race. So when you start, the clock's ticking all the way through to the end. You don't have a tent, so basically you go for about 15 to 18 hours a day and then when you get knackered, you just roll your sleeping bag out on a, on a sleeping mat in the snow, sleep for three, four hours, get up and then do it again. Uh, there are checkpoints, but like some of them are 85 miles apart. You know, on the mouth of the Saab, the checkpoints are like 12k apart. It's a very different race. And when you run out of water, you just have to melt snow. So, you know, that, and that takes time. It's bizarre. You know, I'm using gas to, for my heat and actually I have to put paraffin blocks and set fire to them under the gas canister to make the gas canister warm enough so the gas doesn't freeze so I can melt snow. So it's just so many things I had to learn. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a it's a tough race and most years about seven or eight people finish out of the 25 to 30 entrants. Some years no one finishes. So, you know, to me, it's just, I'm going to put my foot in the start line and I, I can't tell you how far I get. And I, and I don't mind because I know I've got an advantage I've got, I've got two advantages. One's I'm mentally strong. You know, if I can sit there with chemotherapy, I can certainly get cold. Secondly, I have an advantage that I can't do it next year, maybe. So, whereas someone might think, oh, I've got a bit of a knee ache, let's give up now, and then let's train a bit harder for next year. I can't do that. So, actually, if my knee hurts, I think, sorry, I'm just going to keep going and just see how far I go until my knee collapses, because that's, I don't really care. And someone talked about frostbite the other day, and, and frostbite's the biggest reason people drop out. And... To me, and again, this sounds mad, but I don't care if I lose a finger because I haven't got to worry about when I'm 80. You know, I'm 52 now. I don't, I won't need that finger when I'm 80. And yeah, whilst I don't want to lose a finger, don't be wrong, I'm not. But if I do, oh, so what? It doesn't really matter. I can sure I can survive another year without a finger. That's what I've got to worry about. So that's cool. No, now I do that. I lose four fingers and five toes, and they'll find a cure, and I'll find I'm going to live to 80. <laughs> but you know, hey, I'd take that. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> Kevin. Thank you so much for coming on to the Runners World podcast. It's absolutely um, incredibly inspiring to hear um, how you've reacted to some, some absolutely terrible news and how you've kind of filled your life with, with joy and running. So thank you very much. Okay, thanks. You're listening to the Runners World podcast. Joining us in the studio now is Will Watt, the founder of The Swimmer, a swim run event that takes in a half marathon and four outdoor swims. Uh, we covered the event in the social movement section of February issue of Runners World. In fact, Rick did it. That's right. I took part in the swimmer, so I've got first-hand experience of your event. Will I should actually when you say founder, I founded it with a guy Jonathan Cowie, who um, is a really good runner, and we swam together at Tooting through the winter. And Tooting has a brilliant swimming club, South London Swimming Club, and they do the thing called the Lido Crawl, which is from Tooting north going north and it goes from tooting to the serpentine to the men's pond but they do it on bikes or in cars and you know it's hard enough it's december november so it's cold swim so it's quite tough so i did it on a bike and i got to the end which is the men's pond in Hampstead, which is where as ring knows the swimmer starts and we started cycling home and i thought actually this is all downhill i could probably run this at a push i'm not a great runner but at a push i could probably run this and it reminded me of the film the swimmer with Burt Lancaster, right. which is... Uh, yeah, extraordinary kind of... It's a tri- trippy 60s <laughs> film, yeah. <laughs> it's quite a dark... Uh, 
slightly ironically, really, I was middle-aged. I'm middle-aged, and it's a sort of, it's a story. It's a John Cheever short story about a man's descent into sort of almost middle-aged crisis. So it's, it was slightly appropriate in a horrible way. In, uh, so we thought, I thought, it reminds me of The Swimmer. So I, look, I went home and looked up the, the URL, and theswimmer.org was free. So I thought, oh, well, we're going to have to do this. And I was just chatting to Jonathan about the idea, and he said, I'll do it with you. So we did it in September 2012. And just did the route, just wrecked the route. And it's actually turned out to be a lovely route. I mean, right. you start in Hampstead. Yeah. But then, you you know, you see your, your first run is through Hampstead Heath at dawn, which is quite beautiful. Then you go over Primrose Hill and see the sunrise over London. Then you go down the hill through Regent's Park, which is quite a nice park, go past Baker Street. And then you have to go to the Serpentine, which is in Hyde Park. So the first half of it, is I think we describe it as a run through London's finest parks and pools, which it genuinely is. Yeah. Then from Serpentine onwards, we're running home back to South London, which is it's slightly. How would you describe that? Slightly, right? slightly more real. It was, Keeping it real, it's <laughs> South London, isn't it? It's a bit more South London. So the North is very parks and leafy and lovely, and a lot of people actually pack it in at the Serpentine and go, "Well, that was great." I mean, yeah, you probably missed the best. That's the best bit. The, the six miles after that is a bit of a slog down to Brockwell. But when you get to the end, we we have started to sort of lay on Bacon Butties, coffee, sauna at Brockwell, which I think is Rick's local pool. It's a, They've got a great cafe there, so we lay on a bit of a spread. And then we, we've had film screenings in the pub afterwards as well with The Swimmer. And so people I mean, you're really watch. selling it to me. I'm actually quite you fancy it? Yeah, yeah. It's interesting that it's inspired by The Swimmer, but there is an important difference, isn't there, that that film is... A- the height of the American summer, yeah, whereas you guys insist on it being uh, a winter-only UK event. I mean, it's it's freezing, Will. It is, but I mean, I, it, I, it's it was slightly bizarrely. I was on my way here, and I bumped into a, a really old friend of mine from college, and uh, he said, "Oh, yeah, it's this time of year, just a bit down, a bit depressed." And I said, and he liked swimming at the men's pond. I said, "You get in that pool, it'd be freezing." I said, "Look, you wait. You get in that cold water." And it just clears out all of the sort of mental fog of winter. And it's really addictive, cold swimming. So, it's, I mean, there's, um, I can't remember, the, there's, there's two doctors on, B- on the BBC, aren't there? And he did a thing on cold swimming. He was trying to sort of experiment with not prescribing drugs. So he prescribed somebody, you know, cold swimming for mental health. Right. And it is phenomenal because it, it just blows your mind. It literally blows your mind out. And you've gone, Whoa! and you get an um, endorphin rush, which is slightly addictive for people, I think. And it is fantastic. I mean, I do it all year, every year. Don't get ill, don't get colds. You know, I haven't had anything for years just from cold swimming because it boosts your immune system. Obviously, to a lot of people, you look like a nut job. <laughs> um, but if you go to any of these places that do it, like South London Swimming Club right. or Brockwell, now, do it now, you do meet a lovely, eclectic bunch of people. And the swimmer, I mean, he's... There's some cracking people, do there? Are some, there are some characters. Well, there's the fittest vicar in London, Ben. Wow. Graham Buckle, right. the Reverend. The Reverend Graham Buckle. And isn't there, there's a rumour, isn't there, that um, Graham's presence ensures good weather? It's never rained. It's, I mean, we've been doing it for five years, and every time it happens and Graham is on there, it never rains. There was literally one time where the forecast was dreadful, and we ran through London with, with rain passing us on the north, and it didn't rain, and we, it was like a, it was like a miracle. And he is, he is like, I mean, Graham, if he's listening, I did try and get him to come today. Actually, he is a bit like an angel. He's this sort of wonderful sort of spiritual leader. I've made him chairman because he's, you know, he's got to be. <laughs> I was going to ask you about um, 
because a swim is not a competitive event, but it, you, yeah. you'd classify it as a swim run, I guess, and which is which is a real growth thing. Yeah. What, what do you think? Do you think that like uh, swimming and running go well together? We didn't didn't realise this at the time, but um, we think the swimmer is the first in a very unofficial sense, swim run event in the UK. We didn't even know about swim run at the time we did it. Mm. But yeah, I think they do. And actually, particularly in winter, because everyone who does it, it's quite a long run, isn't it? It is. It's about about half a marathon, as you said in the intro. Mm. But the cold swim seems to take... It it helps your legs recover. I mean, I am no runner. I'm no half marathon runner, and I can do it. And uh, the, the cold bit seems to help with it. It's like an ice bath, isn't it? Well, you know, it is like the yeah, like the rugby boys when they get in the ice baths. Yeah, but it's I mean, it's not competitive in any sense at all. We have cake at the halfway point because you need the sugar rushes. My kind of race. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's about the enjoyment, not the endurance. We say nice. Leave the Garmin at home. But I do think the I do think swim run and the um, as a area is very interesting because I think a lot of people with the triathlon stuff actually it's the cycling part that. Is that it feels very sort of gear uh, intense and actually uh, uh, swimming and running are very simple sports, aren't they? Yeah, you could, uh, I totally agree. I mean, I think triathlon is an excuse for for middle aged men in lycra to buy to spend like six grand on a bike, and quite honestly, their wife doesn't know that it, the difference between that and a six hundred quid bike is just gear led stuff. Yeah, now, it's quite. Uh, somebody said, "What was the phrase that you used the other day?" I was talking about triathlon. It just became a bit. It's just quite sanitised. Whereas I, I think what we do with the swimmer is, that you, and with swim run as well, mm. some great swim runs up in the Lake District yeah. and stuff. Yeah. It's a bit more an adventure. Yeah. Well, this this leads me on to this the Scandinavian version yeah, it's of Attila. Attila, so people. Do, I think, so I think your question is pronounced There's a load of people have done the Attilo. Jonathan, that I found it was done the Attilo, and we did have people. You can train for the Attilo on the swimmer, and they, that means what you do is you turn up in a wetsuit, yeah. Ben, so you'd be fine. Good. But what you've got to do is do the whole... And people are turning up doing it in literally all this Attilo kit, which is um, wetsuit, and they would just do the whole thing in their wetsuit. Mm. So it's quite an odd sight at 9 o'clock on Saturday morning because we run past um, Harvey Nichols and down that street where there's loads of sort of, you know, Versace underwear shops, and uh, these people are coming out, and there's these people running past in wetsuits, and they go, what the bloody hell are you doing yeah. uh, so it was quite an odd sight at, uh, early on a saturday morning in the uh, heart of knightsbridge well will thank you very very much for for coming on the uh, runners world podcast it's great to hear a bit more about the swimmer and i would encourage any listeners uh who uh, who are kind of intrigued by what they've heard to give the swimmer a go i mean it sells out all the time so you've got to be quick haven't you to get on yeah do i need to do the uh, www.org yeah, yeah it's, yeah. it's www theswimmer.org but yeah it does it's popular i don't do it full time i'd love to sort of find a way to that but it's, a, it's just a fun hobby really yeah yeah Perfect. good fun thank great you. well thanks again will cheers before we go this month please send in your training questions we want some input from you for our next one as well podcast um what would you like to know whether you're upping your mileage before a marathon uh what to eat before a race any of these questions please email us at podcast at runnersworld.co.uk uh, and we'll try and answer those questions for next month's show. In the meantime, we'd like to say a quick thanks to our guests, Maud Hodgson, Kevin Webber and Will Watt, and to Scramble Studios in Soho, where this was recorded. For more from Runner's World, why not head to our website, runnersworld.co.uk, where you'll find more advice and inspiration from the wide world of running. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next month. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... 
HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 